Shalom. This is Mark Robinson, Executive Director of Jewish Awareness Ministries. Welcome to Jewish Awareness Podcast, a teaching ministry of Jewish Awareness Ministries. On Friday nights at our headquarters, we host a Bible study. Generally, we do verse-by-verse studies of different books of the Bible. Through the years, these studies have looked at the books of Isaiah, Ezekiel, John, and Hebrews. At times, we will have studies devoted to Jewish cultural events or issues relating to Israel and prophecy. These studies can be viewed live through the JAM Facebook live stream platform on Fridays. If you have questions or would like additional information, go to our website, jewishawareness.org. Email us at office at jewishawareness.org or call us at 919-275-4477. This information will be repeated at the end of the podcast. Enjoy the Bible study. John chapter 1 and verse 4. We've seen in verses 1 through 4 the doctrine of Christ's pre-existence, his deity, that he is the creator, and that Jesus is life. Uh, as it says in the first half of verse 4, in him was life, and then in the life was the light of men. We looked at the scriptural principle of life and how it's more than just having a pulse. It's more than just being alive. It's more than just existing. Life scripturally is associated with the fullness of the blessing of the presence of God. And without that, you have no life. Uh, There's numerous ways that we can apply in Genesis where God said, the day that you eat of that fruit, you shall surely die. Adam lived 935 years and then he died, Genesis 5.5. He continued to live longer than the point where they ate from the tree, but the instant that he ate of it, he died spiritually. In that instance, he lost true life. What did Jesus say? I'm come that you may have life and that you may have it more abundantly. Um, Whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. If we trust in Jesus as our Savior, we're not just going to be alive, you know, forever. I mean, the people that are going to, uh, you know, be condemned forever in the lake of fire, those that refuse Jesus as Savior, those that don't have a payment for their sin, that end up in hell, they're alive physically for all eternity. And yet they do not have life scripturally. What we have is eternal life, eternal fullness of the blessing of God's presence. I I like this quote from Baker's Encyclopedia of the Bible, just summed it up and we'll continue. In biblical perspective, life flows from the living Father through the Son, his agent in creation and redemption. We recently focused on the fact that Christ was not created. He is the creator. Uh, Without him was nothing made that was made. There's not a single thing that was made without him. Uh, And into a world thirsting for real life. This world, they can't be satisfied. I mean, the people that are committing suicide left and right, dying over, you know, overdoses and different things, are those that seem to have it all, as the world would, you know, explain. I mean, they may have fame and fortune and, and, and just everything that they can imagine, and yet they commit suicide because they're depressed, because they don't have satisfaction. They don't have life. They don't have 
the peace that they're longing for that only can come from Christ. Um, in him was life, and the life was the light of men. Uh, if you're in John chapter 1, keep your finger there, but turn over a couple pages to John chapter 6. Just want to look at this verse in passing. This is one of the verses that confused a lot of people and made a lot of people upset and made a lot of people turn back from following Jesus uh, when he was referring to uh, his blood and his body. In John chapter 6, verse 57, listen to this. As the living Father hath sent me, you get that? As the living Father, what was God called in, in, in relation to all other gods, in contrast to all other gods? He is the living God. Okay, that's the difference. As the living Father, verse 57, hath sent me, and I live by the Father. So he that eateth me, even he shall live by me. Is Christ talking about cannibalism? Is he talking about eating him literally? No. He's talking about receiving him. He's talking about accepting him. And that's fully realized in the symbolism of the Passover, the Lord's Supper. He said, this is my blood, this is my body. Are we literally eating the body and blood? No, we are not. I would strongly disagree with those that think some kind of hocus-pocus goes on. It's a symbol. Just as the Passover was a symbol, it was a memorial. Um, but to focus on the main thing here is the life of the Father is in the Son. And that life is the origin of life. God breathed into Adam's nostrils and what happened? He became a living soul. Okay, does, does the animal kingdom have that life? No. The animal kingdom is alive physically. The animal kingdom has a pulse. But the animal kingdom does not have what separated man from the animal kingdom, and that is the image of God. That is the breath of God. That is a soul, a spirit, having that, um, that life. As we continue on, we'll touch base uh, back on this idea in a minute, but we're going to focus on the next half of uh, verse 4 and then on to verse 5. Jesus is the light. Uh, I love this idea. There's so many passages, and time would fail us to look at all of them, but we're just going to continue to go through, and you know, if I don't finish when time's out, we'll just pick up back here again. So we're going to have a good time looking into this in the Word of God. In him was life, and the life was the light of men, and the light shineth in darkness, and the darkness comprehended it not. What is meant in verse 4 by the light of men? In him was the light of men. Think about light for a second, okay? What light is to the world physically, Jesus is to the world spiritually. I thought about doing an illustration here. Oh, okay, I'm going to go ahead and do it. <laughs> um, Brother Bob, Will you go over there real quick and turn the lights off? Okay, now we'll still be able to see because we got some light emanating from the kitchen and some light emanating from the hallway. But I want to show you something for a second, okay? Can you see as well with the light off? No. No, you cannot. Um, I wish that you could just close your eyes for a second, okay? Pitch black, as far as you can tell. I mean, some light's making it through your eyelids, maybe. But pitch black. This is the spiritual reality for the majority of our world. A lost and dying world that although they can see physically, spiritually, they are blind and they are in darkness. Okay, now everybody look at me. This is what happened when Jesus showed up. Now this is a very poor, horrible example, but if it was pitch black right now, okay, and 
this would just kind of blind you. You'd be kind of drawn to it, kind of confused. Okay, thank you, brother. You can turn the lights back on. Jesus showed them light. Jesus is the express image of the Father. The Bible says uh, that God is light in him. is no darkness at all. No darkness at all. Okay? Neither shadow of turning. Um, no variableness. I thought about illustration. You ever, you ever, probably never did this, but you ever shine a flashlight on a candle when it's dark? Okay, this is your homework, okay? Go home in a dark room, light a candle, and shine a flashlight on that candle. You will see the shadow of the candle, and that's it. The flame has no shadow. It looks as though the candle is not lit. Um, there's no shadow, no darkness in true light. Um, so what physical light is to the world physically, Jesus is to the world spiritually. Three things, okay? Three things that light is. And there's a parallel between the physical world and the spiritual world. Letter A, it exposes truth. Okay? When Bob had the light turned off a couple minutes ago, you probably couldn't read what was on your page. Okay? You probably couldn't see, you know, the disgusted expression on the person next to you as they were looking at you. You know, we couldn't see specific things. Details are lost. Um, it dispels darkness. And without it, sight is impossible. Am I right, Dr. Bird? Okay. So the light is what actually helps us to see. Um, as Mark mentioned, I don't know, a week or two ago, he mentions it in passing different times. Uh, things that would be <laughs> better answered by our resident optometrist over there. Um, but the fact is, the only reason that our eyes can perceive physical objects with sight is the light reflecting off of them. So if there's darkness, you can't see. And something that's interesting, I don't know if you ever thought about this before, but the darker it gets, the more monotone things appear. Because color you know, becomes less vibrant because there's less light to reflect that color. So in a dark room, you may be able to see, but it's more monotone than it would be if the light was on. Um, so what does Jesus do spiritually? He comes into this world, okay, born as a baby in a manger. God in human flesh, and he exposes truth. He is the word embodied. He is the express image of the Father. As he said, uh, you know, I have life from the living Father. Everything that Jesus did, everything that Jesus said, coincides with his Father. Uh, Jesus is Jehovah in a human body. Jesus is truth. This world sometimes doesn't like truth does it? And you know, this world has gotten used to this darkness, and it's all they've ever known. Um, there may be glimmers of light, and we're going to get to this in a minute, there may be glimmers of light in the general revelation that they see around them. There may be glimmers of light in their conscience, okay, helping them to realize that somebody must have made all of this. I mean, it's ridiculous to, you know, surmise that Everything that's here, you and me in this building, in this paper, in this Bible, in this phone, you know, the materials that made all of these things just somehow randomly happened together. I mean, if I took, you know, if I went down to Apple or whatever and I, you know, got every single little tiny part, every single little tiny piece, every single little tiny, you know, microchip and piece of microchip and material and just threw it up all in the air, would this come down on the ground together? No. 
And it's far more ridiculous to think that we have evolved. Um, somebody looks in the mirror, a good hard look in the mirror will show you that there is a God. And that is a glimmer of light, but that glimmer of light only condemns. That glimmer of light only makes us without excuse before a holy and perfect creator that made everything. Uh, it dispels darkness. Uh, as I mentioned before, this world is used to the darkness. Um, if you've ever been in a dark room, or maybe you're just waking up, okay, or maybe somebody flips the light on. Uh, when I was in college, some people sometimes would get up really early, uh, comparatively, to when I liked to get up. And sometimes they would turn the light on, where, where you know, maybe it was like 5 in the morning or something, 5.30 in the morning, I am still asleep. And it's like so jarring to have that light in your face that you're, you, know, you didn't have time to adjust to the light. This world doesn't like it, okay? Um, it's not fun to be exposed. It's not fun to um, be shown something that is contrary to our fleshly desires. And yet that is exactly what Jesus taught spiritually. I mean, Jesus um, just let everybody have it as far as what their preconceived notions were that they were dead wrong and that they were facing an eternal judgment from a holy God because of it, and they didn't like it. Um, but yet, if you allow that light to penetrate, it's far better to be able to see than it ever could be in darkness. I don't know about you, but when I first got saved, it was like somebody deciphered this book for me. It was like I was trying to read hieroglyphics, you know, listening to, listening to or hearing it or trying to read it, um, before getting saved, and all of a sudden it was like I could understand this book because it was speaking to me. It was speaking to my heart. The Spirit of God inside me was testifying that I was a child of God, and hey, all of these things is a love letter to you. But before that, it's darkness. Before that, it's just kind of trying to find your way around. Uh, okay, I'll move on. I'm going to be a, uh, on sidetrack, uh, rabbit trails all night. Okay, so... It exposes the truth. It dispels darkness. And without it, sight is impossible. Uh, I want to read a couple of passages. Keep a bookmark or a paper there in John and turn over to Luke chapter 2. Luke chapter 2. A couple of... Um, passages, one in Luke, one in Isaiah, that I wanted to read to you. Luke chapter 2, verse 25. And behold, there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon, and the same was just and devout, waiting for the consolation of Israel, and the Holy Ghost was upon him. And it was revealed unto him by the Holy Ghost that he should not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. And he came by the Spirit into the temple. And when the, parents, and when the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him after the custom of the law, then took he him up in his arms and blessed God and said, Lord, now lettest thy servant depart in peace according to thy word. For mine eyes have seen thy salvation, which thou hast prepared before the face of all people. Now listen to this. A light to lighten the Gentiles, and the glory of thy people Israel. How many of you in here are Gentiles? Okay. I myself am a half-breed. Okay. So I'm included in this. All right. The reason that you and I were lightened, 
okay, enlightened, given light, is because of the Savior, is because of Christ. And the neat thing about this is it doesn't just start here in Luke, okay? Um, turn back to the book of Isaiah, chapter 42. Isaiah 42. Isaiah chapter 42, and it's a short, uh, let's see here, what was I going to read? Okay, just the first couple of verses here, not the whole thing. Um, let's see here. Start in verse 1. Behold my servant whom I uphold, mine elect in whom my soul delighteth. I have put my spirit upon him. He shall bring forth judgment unto the Gentiles. Okay, skip down to verse number 5. Thus saith God, the Lord, that created the heavens and stretched them out, he that spread forth the earth and that which cometh out of it, he that giveth breath unto the people upon it and spirit to them that walk therein. I, the Lord, have called thee in righteousness and will hold thy hand and will keep thee and will give thee a covenant of the people for a light of the Gentiles. Who is this talking about? Jesus. Look at verse 7. To open the blind eyes, to bring out the prisoners from the prison, and them that sit in darkness out of the prison house. I am the Lord, that is my name, and my glory will I not give to another, neither my praise to graven images. Um, you know, boy, I'm all over the place. To skip forward in this chapter, the chapter 1 of John, um, there's a phrase where it says, and we beheld his glory, the glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. He had the Father's glory, full of it. He was the Father's glory. And in this same passage in Isaiah, he says, I am the Lord, I am Jehovah, that is my name, and my glory will I not give to another. He didn't give his glory to another. He was and is Jesus in human flesh. Okay? He says, I and my Father are one. How would you say to me, you know, show us the Father. You've been with me this long, and you ask me that. If you've seen me, you've seen the Father, Jesus said. Um, interesting little, little idea there. But there's Messianic prophecy dealing with, and you can turn back to John, Messianic prophecy dealing with the Messiah bringing light to the Gentiles. Um, there was a, a TV special that I saw a while back. Maybe, maybe it was a YouTube video. Uh, Dr. Michael Brown, I don't know if you've heard of him, he's a Jewish believer, walking around Crown Heights, New York City, Jewish district. And he was asking the Orthodox Jews, the Hasidic Jews of Crown Heights, have you heard of the Rebbe, okay, which is Menachem Sneerson, okay, he passed away in I think 92 or 94. Uh, many believed him to be, many still do, small group. Uh, believe him to be the Messiah. They're awaiting his resurrection. Okay, he is not the Messiah. Uh, he was born, I think, in the Ukraine, died in Brooklyn uh, from a stroke. He is not the Messiah. Um, well, we all know that there, but uh, just clarifying. Um, but he asked all these Orthodox Jews, have you heard of the Rebbe? Have you heard of Menachem Sneerson? And all of them are just like, of course I've heard of him. Yes, absolutely. But then he goes into the Gentile neighborhood in New York. And he says, have you heard of the Rebbe? And they're like, who? What are you talking about? Person after person after person, no. Then he talks to the same Gentile neighborhood. Have you ever heard of Jesus? Yes? Okay. 
Without a doubt, every person that he talked to had heard of Jesus and knew who he was. Jesus brought light to the Gentiles. He brought the word of God to the Gentiles. He brought salvation to the Jew and to the Gentiles. Um, I have a passage here that I want to share with you uh, in a minute. Okay, a couple of notes that I have here. Psalm 19, uh, I'm sorry, 119, 105. Thy word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. Recently we had that power outage, okay? And this illustration is like embedded in my mind. We found all of our candles, okay? We dug them out of the cupboards and placed them in the places that they needed to be throughout the house to be able to see. And at one point, I remember, I had to leave our bedroom, which is upstairs, and go downstairs, and it was nighttime. So I took a candle, okay? Back then, they didn't have candles. I mean, didn't have flashlights like we do. They had candles, okay? And with that candle, it was like, wow, I can barely see, you know, very far in front of me at all. I had to be very careful walking down those steps because I could only see literally one and a half steps in front of me. Or else I'd go tumbling down the stairs and we'd have another huge problem in the midst of a power outage. But that candle, here I have the, the Hebrew word ner, okay? Uh, ner is flame or candle, literally. Thy word is, is a lamp, a flame or candle unto my feet. Okay? It only shows us far enough that we can kind of take the next step. How many of you are like me and like to have like a million steps in advance planned out if you possibly could? Okay? Uh, sometimes I get frustrated and the Lord has to teach me patience and he has to say, you don't have to have all your ducks in a row, you just have to have the next one. Okay? Following him as he shows you, as he reveals to you. But for so long, all that people had to show them the truth was the first covenant. All that people had to show them who the Lord was, was the shadows that were pointing to the Messiah. The shadows that were pointing to the object of this book. And even people that read the New Testament nowadays, if they don't have Christ, if they're not saved, if they're not born again, all that they have is um, just their own intellect and if the Spirit of God would illuminate them to bring them to salvation. That's it. Um, and yet when Jesus came, he showed us. He showed us physically. This is who God is. That God that you've heard about for so many years. That God that you've read about, that your fathers have read about, that you've heard stories about. I am him. So Jesus brought light. He brought life um, and light or unto my path. When God said in the beginning, let there be light. He said, he or, let there be light. That is like light in general. It's not just a little candle, but it's, it's, it's like another word for daylight, okay? Just this, um, you know, all-encompassing, all-covering light. Not just a little candle, but light. The darkness comprehended it not. Um, if you'll forgive me, I'm going to... Skip around here for a second, because I want to I go to this next part. It ties in better. Um, and then I'll skip back to the darkness comprehended not. Matthew chapter 4, I have a, a, a verse here. It's a quotation from Isaiah 9, okay? It's on your notes. The land of Zebulun and the land of, Na of the Naphtalim, by the way of the sea, beyond Jordan, Galilee of the Gentiles, the people which sat in darkness saw great light, and them which sat in the region and shadow of death, is light sprung up. There is a prophecy in the book of Isaiah that there would be a light shining out of Galilee. It wouldn't be just a little flame, and it wouldn't even just be light. It would be a great light. 
a great light. This is a big deal. And specifically because we're looking at the book of John, we're looking at the gospel and the Bible itself from a Jewish perspective. There's a messianic prophecy about light coming to the Gentiles and that light springing up out of the region of Galilee. Um, what's interesting, and we learned this when we went to Israel, um, but Galilee of the nations, okay, um, it's kind of two words that are put together in one. Galilee comes from Galil Hagoyim, a mix or a circuit of Gentiles. Um, so this is the people which sat in darkness. This is the people that didn't even have the Old Testament. They didn't even have those scriptures, okay? Um, the people that were up there in that region were predominantly Gentiles, okay? The people which sat in darkness saw a great light, and to them which sat in the region in shadow of death, light has sprung up. This parallels not only light, but life and death, okay? The shadow of death, darkness, light has sprung up. Um, Isaiah calls it Urgadol, big light, great light, huge light. And I thought this was interesting. I never knew until I looked it up. The Greek word for big is mega. <laughs> okay, that's where we get mega from. Phos mega, that's what Matthew called it, a great light. So Jesus being in the region of Galilee, Jesus coming to earth, okay, in human flesh, is not just, okay, he's going to show us some light. He's going to enlighten us a little bit. He's going to kind of direct us and guide us. No, he's going to blind us with the light of God so that we, you know, the scales fall off our eyes, just as they did with Paul, so that our eyes are opened to the spiritual world, so that our eyes are open to what true life is. There are so many people across this world, billions of people who are alive physically but dead spiritually because they do not have life. And also, they are not seeing, they are seeing physically, but they are blind spiritually. Whew. That's a big thing to deal with. Okay, um, this is earth shattering. And sometimes we kind of get over the fact that we're saved, but we shouldn't. We get used to it. We get familiar with it. And the more familiar we get with taking for granted the spirit of God within us and being able to understand God's word and who Jesus is and how he came down and saved a wretch like me, we get familiar with that and we're like, okay, it's just another day in the life of being a Christian. No, it's not. It's an amazing new day to serve the Lord. He's given us his spirit. He's given us his word. He's saved us not only just to be saved, but he saved us for a purpose. He has a plan for you. He wants to use you to bring glory and honor to himself and to bless you with his grace that we don't deserve, that he gives us every hour, every minute, every day. Um, and so maybe some of us sometimes, I know I have in the past, fallen into a rut where I've kind of, Taking it for granted. Um, you know how it is when a power outage just happens and you go into the bathroom and you flip the light switch? And then, oh, okay, yeah, the power's off. I forgot. We take it so for granted. It's the same thing with our Christian life. Now, I praise the Lord. We will never lose our salvation. That is a false doctrine. We will never lose our salvation. But just use your imagination for a second. Aren't you glad you don't have to? Okay, um, when the power would go out, we'd realize that the power was so vital and oh, how I took the electricity for granted. We don't have to have that with our salvation. Thankfully, we never will. But sometimes, as Peter mentioned, we need to be stirred up a little bit. We need to be shaken up a little bit and to remember what we have and how incredible it is. I mean, this is it. This is what the world is thirsting for and can't find. This is why people 
are, you know, killing themselves on drug overdoses because they can't find peace. They can't find hope. They can't find answers. They can't find uh, the reason that they were born. They can't find the purpose of life. I mean, is it audacious to say, I know what the purpose of life is? <laughs> you know, so many people would think that, well, that's kind of a way out there thing. And, you know, how do we know what the, pur the purpose of life is to know God and to have fellowship with him and to glorify him forever? That's why we were created. And yet so many people are not fulfilling that, that idea. Um, okay, back to the idea of the darkness comprehended it not. Um, listen to this. Okay, um, I have a couple of paragraphs here, and I think that they're, they're pretty good. The discovery of the eternal word, which is Christ, okay, to the lapsed world, even before he was manifested in the flesh, the light shineth in darkness. Light is self-evidencing and will make itself known. This light, whence the light of men comes, hath shone and doth shine. The eternal word, as God, shines in the darkness of natural conscience. Though men by the fall are become darkness, yet that which may be known of God is manifested in them. Romans 1, and we're going to go there in a little bit. The light of nature is this light shining in darkness, something of the power of the divine word, both creating and as commanding, all mankind have an innate sense of. Were it not for this, earth would be a hell, a place of utter darkness. Blessed be God, it is not so. Um, okay, so what about the darkness comprehending it not? The, word, the world of mankind comprehended not the natural light that was in their understandings, but became vain in their imaginations concerning the eternal God and the eternal word. The darkness of error and sin overpowered and quite eclipsed this light. Listen to this. The Jews who had the light of the Old Testament yet comprehended not Christ in it. As there was a veil upon Moses' face, so there was upon the people's hearts, and the darkness and types of shadows of the light shone. But such as the darkness of their understandings, they could not see it. Um, this world can see a glimmer of light in their conscience that God has given to them to show them that there is a God, to show them that there is right and wrong, to show them that there is holiness and righteousness and to show them that there's accountability to that. And yet they kind of, eh, what is this? You know, um, in Romans 1, we read a lot of uh, different things that show the truth of that. Um, and we're going to look at that in a minute. So kind of keep that kind of on the back burner in your mind, okay? The fact that people have misplaced and misused the conviction that is built into them by God that they need a savior. Um, okay, I'm going to read you a couple passages here that I have on your handout. John chapter 3, verses 19 through 21. And this is the condemnation, that light has come into the world, and that men loved darkness rather than light because their deeds were evil. I recently read something. I think it was something that uh, Keith McGilligan posted on Facebook. I'm trying to think of who it was that said it. Maybe it was Spurgeon. Um, had a definition of what the conscience is. And this was kind of interesting. It's a quick little quote, but it said something like, the conscience is what tells you to look over your shoulder to see if somebody's watching. Okay? When we're doing something we're not supposed to do, we know it. And it's because of God. 
And I believe that that is an application of the fact that Christ is the light of men. Okay? That fact that it comes from him as the creator and it's fully realized in accepting him as savior and having the darkness dispelled. But that light that's given to every man shows them the truth and they shove it you know, out of the way. Um, as we'll see in Romans 1 for a second. But everyone that doeth evil, continuing in John chapter 3, this little quote here, for everyone that doeth evil hateth the light, neither cometh to the light, lest his deeds should be reproved. But he that doeth truth cometh to the light, that his deeds may be made manifest, that they are wrought in God. You ever thought about how so much wickedness, I mean now it's all the time, it's in the daylight, it's in the public, it's everywhere. But for a period of time, it was major the majority of it was done in the night. Why? And, and, and a lot of times, a lot of it still is done primarily in the night, in the darkness. Um, why do you think, you know, the bars are poorly lit? <laughs> you know, is that just like some kind of problem that they have with their lighting across the nation, across the world, in places that serve alcohol? Uh, you know, in our places of, uh, you know, ill repute? No. It's because they like it dark in there. They want it dark in there. They don't want their deeds to be exposed. There's something in the back of their mind that tells them, okay, we shouldn't do this in, in, in broad daylight. <laughs> you know? It's because they don't want their deeds to be reproved. They like the darkness. Um, and that is true both physically and spiritually. Okay? In uh, John 12, 46, Jesus said, I am come a light into the world that whosoever believeth on me should not abide in darkness. You can be taken out of the realm of darkness into the realm of light. You can have sight. You can have all of these wonderful, it's not just being able to see, but all the colors. Okay? Christ makes life more vibrant. He makes everything have meaning. He makes everything have purpose. He makes everything so beautiful in realizing that he is the creator and that he created it for our benefit, for our blessing, for our joy, for our use. And yet so many people have never experienced that. Um, any qu questions or comments? I mean, we're going to come back to this idea of light because it comes back up again. Uh, but we're, before we get into John being the witness bearer, I'll just stop and pause and see if there's any discussion, any, any questions, comments, input. Okay. All right. Well, let's continue with verse 6. John chapter 1. Uh, and the light shineth in the darkness, and the darkness comprehended it not. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. The same came for a witness, to bear witness of the light, that all men through him might believe. He was not that light, but was sent to bear witness of that light. So who was John? Was John the Savior? No. This clearly, yes, John the Baptist, he cl it clearly shows us the purpose of John. And we see the purpose of John other, other places in Scripture. But this is just stated uh, in such a great summary. John was not that light. He was sent to bear witness of that light that through him all men might believe. John was to be the forerunner of the Messiah. He was the one to proclaim, you know, the Lord is coming. He was the one to proclaim he is the light. He is the life. He is the one whose shoes I'm not worthy to unloose. 
Um, he is the Lamb of God. That was John's purpose, John the Baptist, to bear the witness of that light. And then in verse 9, that was the true light, which lighteth every man that cometh into the world. Now, this is talking about Christ. <clears throat> so what is meant by the phrase, which lighteth every man? Um, this little paragraph here explains it pretty well. The common light of nature as it's put. From this light, the rays are diffused over all mankind, as I've already said, for we know that men have this peculiar excellence which raises them above other animals or other creatures. Okay, I wouldn't call man an animal. That they are endued with reason and intelligence and that they carry the distinction between right and wrong engraven on their conscience. There is no man, therefore, whom some perception of the eternal light does not reach. Now, I have my disagreements with Calvin, certainly. Um, but this passage, especially in light of Romans chapter 1, which we were going to look at, you can go ahead and, and turn there, actually. Keep your finger in John. But Romans chapter 1. I'm falling increasingly in love with the book of Romans. I mean, if you start reading it, you can't stop, and it just penetrates to the heart. And uh, there's so much truth about our world, uh, about God, about the Jewish people, believe it or not, in the book called Romans, <laughs> okay? Uh, there's so much. But John, uh, sorry, Romans chapter 1. Uh, this light is speaking of general revelation, which only condemns us before God so that we can see our accountability, our sinfulness, and that we are without excuse. Does Christ, is everybody born with the Holy Spirit? Is everybody, every man that ever existed, born with this, you know, Basically, they don't need to be saved because they've been fully enlightened and their eyes have been opened. No, that is not what it is talking about. It is talking about something that parallels Romans 1, the idea of general revelation, that that conscience, that that accountability, that that innate sense of God comes from Christ. And it is the light that is fully realized when we accept him as Savior. But that glimmer is in every single man that ever existed, even before Christ. Okay, this is how it's possible. It's before and after and just, you know, anybody that's ever been born has this innate sense of right and wrong, this innate accountability and knowledge that there is a creator. <clears throat> um, okay, Romans 1, verse 16. For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God and a salvation to everyone that believeth, to the Jew first, and also to the Greek. <coughs> Excuse me. For therein is the righteousness of God revealed from, the, from faith to faith, as it is written, the just shall live by faith. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who hold the truth in unrighteousness. Because that which may be known of God is manifest in them, for God hath showed it unto them. Who is this talking about? It's talking about mankind, all, everybody, all mankind. God hath showed it unto them. The wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who hold the truth and unrighteousness. Oh, this passage in Romans just so perfectly parallels what we're studying in John because we're going to get into truth in a little bit. And this is talking about men holding the truth in unrighteousness. That literally means suppressing it, pushing it down. Okay? It has the idea of trying to hold somebody under the water even. Okay? 
You're trying to drown somebody and you're suppressing them. You're holding them down. People are doing that to the conviction that's in their heart. They're trying to push it down. They're trying to hold it down. They're trying to suppress it because they don't want to feel it. It hurts. Conviction hurts. Being told that you're wrong, being told that you're sinful, being told that you're wicked and deserving of judgment hurts. But if you don't accept that, you can't get better. If you don't accept that, you can't find the cure, which is Christ. There's a longing in our hearts that only God can fill. Continuing, for the invisible things, verse 20 of Romans chapter 1, for the invisible things of him from the creation of the world are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made, even his eternal power and Godhead, or deity, okay, his divineness, the fact that he is God is, be, is, is, is being made known to everybody, being clearly seen so that they are without excuse. Because that when they knew God, they glorified him not as God, neither were thankful. Okay, They didn't comprehend the light. They didn't come to the light because their deeds were evil. Um, in a couple of verses we're going to read about that uh, he came unto his own and his own received him not. Okay, the world knew him not. Uh, he's showing it unto them. He has been showing it unto them. From their birth, they've been realizing this accountability, this right and wrong, because that when they knew God, they glorified him not as God, neither were thankful, but became vain in their imaginations, and their foolish heart was, what's the next word? Darkened. Okay? Professing themselves to be wise, they became fools, and changed the glory of the uncorruptible God into an image made unto, like unto corruptible man, into birds and four-footed beasts and creeping things. Wherefore, God also gave them up to uncleanness through the lust of their own hearts to dishonor their own bodies between themselves who changed the truth of God into a lie and worshiped and served the creature more than the creator who was blessed forever. All of this ties together. Christ being the creator, Christ being the life, and Christ being the light. All three tie together so intricately that it's hard to kind of dissect them and take them apart and examine them. Because the light is linked to him being the creator. And the life is linked to him being the creator and the light. They're all together. So you have light, you have life, and you have Christ as the creator and Lord. Or you have death, darkness, and there's no creator. Or we're worshiping and serving the creature more than the creator. Which is exactly what this world has done and is doing. Moving on, uh, Jesus' reception, okay? How the world and how his people have or have not received him. He was in the world, talking about Jesus, the light, the creator, the life, the word. He was in the world, and the world was made by him, and the world knew him not. How tragic is this passage when you think about it? People all over the world have an opportunity to know intimately in a personal relationship the one who made them and to show them what the purpose for their creation is and they don't know him. Instead, they're worshiping other gods. Instead, they're denying his existence and worshiping man. Instead, they're doing whatever they can to squelch that voice, to, 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 to suppress the truth, okay, to sear their conscience so they don't have to think about it. And yet, if they would open up to him, he would give them light. And he would give them the truth. 
And as it says in John chapter 8, the truth would set them free. He would open up their blind eyes. Um, he would give them life. And yet, they knew him not. He came unto his own, verse 11, and his own received him not. Talking about the Jewish people. Keep your finger there in John and turn back to the book of Isaiah. Just a couple of verses out of Isaiah chapter 53. There is a popular Jewish objection to Christ. An objection to him being the Messiah. And it goes something like this. If Jesus was really the Messiah, then why have the Jews rejected him? If Jesus was really the Messiah, why haven't we all accepted him? Why hasn't the Jewish leadership acknowledged and accepted him? Why haven't we as a nation, as a whole, accepted him as our Savior? Why? Well, it was prophesied way back, some 700 years before he was born, God foreknew that his people would reject him. Look at Isaiah 53, verses 1 to 3. Who hath believed our report? And to whom is the arm of the Lord revealed? For he shall grow up before him as a tender plant and as a root out of dry ground. He hath no form nor comeliness. When we shall see him, there is no beauty that we should desire him. Now who is the we? The Jewish people, people of Israel. And who is the him? Jesus, the Messiah, the suffering servant. Verse 3, he is despised and rejected of men a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And we hid, as it were, our faces from him. He was despised, and we esteemed him not. That last phrase there literally carries the idea of, we didn't give him a second thought. We didn't even let him, you know, we didn't even entertain the thought that he was the Messiah. We just, we didn't, we esteemed him not. We didn't even think about him. And that's exactly what the Jewish people have done and are doing. But praise the Lord for a remnant of, of Jewish people whose eyes are open. Praise the Lord for the Jewish people in Jesus' day and in, uh, today that they are you know, not suppressing the light, not suppressing the truth, and God is giving them light. God is giving them life. But without Him, there is no life. Without Him, there is no light. Without Him, there is no purpose. Without Him, there is no salvation. Without Him, there is no future. Without him, there is no hope. Without him, there is no peace. That sounds like a pretty miserable existence, if you ask me. And so there's a battle going on between our flesh and the Spirit of God. I remember when I got saved, some 16 years ago, 17 years this year. After I got saved, it was like I had realized that I had just been through a spiritual battle. You know, I mean, I was, when you give in, to the Holy Spirit's wooing. When the Spirit of God, you know, as an unsaved person, when the Spirit of God is trying to tell you, you need to repent. You need to trust me. You need to come to me as Savior. There is this spiritual tug of war going on in your heart. Your, 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 your flesh and every fiber of your fallen being wants to suppress that and push it down. But once you actually listen to the Lord rather than your flesh and you say okay Lord and you surrender and that's that's what it is it's a surrender to the Lord 
It's a, it's, it's a repentance and, 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 and a faith. And then all of a sudden, I realized that, you know, the most vital battle of my entire existence was just one. And it was a fight, and it sounds so silly after the fact, but it was a fight over, do I, do I experience life or death? Do I experience light or darkness? Do I experience truth or a lie? Do I experience salvation or condemnation? Do I experience peace or turmoil and destruction? There's no contest which one we would prefer, but our flesh and that devil tries to convince us that we want the other thing. It's exactly what he did to Adam and Eve. Forget this garden. You want this little fruit right here. Forget what God said. You want this. And there's been people, and I've known at least one, uh, experienced sharing the gospel with somebody and them choosing their sin over Christ because they wanted that more. Um, and it's so sad. But he was in the world, and the world was made by him, and the world knew him not. He came unto his own, and his own received him not. But I'm so thankful for this next verse. But as many as received him, Jew and Gentile alike, the nation of Jews may have not have received him, uh, but Nicodemus did, but Peter did, but Paul did. Okay, The nation of Jews as a whole may not have received him, uh, but Stephen did. Okay. Uh, you, you name it. Go through the list of disciples. Go through the list of biblical authors. Uh, John, James, Luke, Mark, Matthew. All Jews. Okay? Um, what happened when they received him? As many as received him, to them gave he power to become the sons of God. Even to them that believe on his name, which were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. You can't birth yourself into the spiritual realm. You can't make it happen with the power of positive thinking. You can't say, I'm going to be saved. You know, forget about this. I'm going to heaven. I don't care what, what this book says. I'm going to... You can't make yourself be saved. The only way anybody can be saved, the only way anybody can become a child of God is by surrender to Him. It's not of the will of the flesh. Okay, It's not through a desire to experience paradise, which, by the way, do you know why this whole entire issue is going on with Islamic jihadists, okay? And, and, and the fight with Islamic extremists and Islam in general and all of those other things that are going on that are just, you know, ripping our world apart? It comes down to lust. Did you know that? It comes down to lust. Because they'll get 72 virgins in paradise. It all comes down to lust. This whole entire thing is all about lust. Uh, okay, well, that's a rabbit trail. I don't feel like going down. Um, but you can't birth yourself into the spiritual realm. You can't earn salvation. You can't make yourself be saved. The only way that you can do it at all is surrendering to what the Lord wants you to do, and that's receiving his son. Okay? It's a two-sided coin of repentance and faith, turning from your sin and turning toward God in faith. I believe that you're telling the truth about yourself. I believe that you are the Savior. I believe that you died for my sin, and I trust you as my payment for my sin. That's the only way that anybody can ever have salvation. Um, but I'm so glad that you and I have done that. Hopefully everybody here has. If you haven't, we'd be just ecstatic to talk to you um, about that and how you can know for sure uh, that you have a home in heaven. And the Word was made flesh 
and dwelt among us. Tying back to verse 1. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Verse 14, the Word was made flesh. Okay, the utterance of God. Who God is, God's declaration, the way that God speaks to us was made flesh and dwelt among us. And we beheld his glory, the glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. The light, okay, the light that people have experienced glimmers of, even the unsaved world has experienced glimmers of through creation and through their conscience. The light that we experience uh, in salvation, the light that shows us who God is in this book and his spirit illuminating truth to us about this life in general, that light, that word took on flesh. The declaration of who God is became flesh and dwelt among us. Only begotten, this is a, this is a neat phrase. And both of these words, even though that they're Greek, believe it or not, we're familiar with both of them. How many of you have ever heard of mono before? Okay, as, a, as opposed to stereo. Mono, one. Okay, it means one. Only one. One of a kind, unique, alone, begotten. Begotten is genes, which it's the same word that we get the word genesis from. Okay? Origin. Beginnings. Um, basically, it translates to uh, his one and only offspring or his one and only son or his uniquely uh, and only begotten son. Uh, are we not sons of God as well? In fact, the previous verse says that he gave them power to become the sons of God even to them that believe on his name. So how is Jesus the only begotten son of God? How is he uh, the God's only son? Well, you and I Yes, we are sons of God. Yes, we've been born of the Spirit. We've been born spiritually. But we're officially adopted into the family of God. See, this sets Christ apart from those, you know, aside from the fact that he is God himself, but in the fact of him being the Son of God. In that, in that idea, I kind of wanted to touch on this because sometimes, you know, we can clarify this a little bit. Listen to these verses, okay? Romans chapter 8. For ye have not received the spirit of bondage again to fear, but ye have received the spirit of adoption, whereby we cry, Abba, Father. My Hebrew teacher in Cleveland, uh, a rabbi, he has a grandson, and uh, he was playing a video of his grandson saying, Abba, Abba, okay? Jewish people say that today, referring to their daddy, okay? It's a term of endearment. Uh, for those of us in, in, in our Hebrew class, Richard, do you remember the Hebrew word for father? It's the first word that many will learn, and it's the letters A-B, the equivalent of A-B in Hebrew. Av, okay? Av is father. Abba, okay, is like father but more endearing, okay? That's what we cry to God. We cry to him, Abba, Father. He is our father. He's not only our creator. He's not only our Lord. He's not only our savior. But can I use this term? He is our daddy, okay? We can come to him like you would go to your daddy, okay? Which my daughter makes use of every day, okay? She's gotten wrapped around her little finger. Um, but we cry to God, Abba, Father. Uh, Romans 8.23, And not only they, but ourselves also, which have the first fruits of the Spirit, even we ourselves groan within ourselves, waiting for the adoption to wit the redemption 
of our body. Okay, the, the, the Spirit of God is the earnest of the purchased possession. The Spirit of God is our down payment uh, for what God has given us in the future as a home in heaven, uh, new glorified bodies. Praise the Lord for that. Boy, this past month and a half, I've had more issues than I can even... Oh, thank you for praying for me. I'm glad that I'm better. Uh, and Lord willing, I'll be seeing a GI, uh, gastroenterologist, to kind of make sense of some things. So I just thought of that as a little plug prayer request for, for that. But I'm, I, I'm you know, excited about having a new body someday. Okay. Um, Romans chapter 9, verse 4, who are Israelites, to whom pertaineth the adoption. Everything that we have in this life, in this Christian life, in our experience, uh, being a born-again child of God, everything, everything has its root in the Jewish people, okay? Whether you're a Gentile or whether you're half and half like me, okay? Everything we have, it goes back to the roots of the Jewish people. To them pertain the adoption. Oh, no wonder Paul's heart was broken for his people. I mean, he said that he has continual, daily sorrow in his heart for his people. You know why? Because to them pertaineth this whole thing. To them pertain the adoption. And they're not experiencing it. Because maybe somebody hasn't told them. Okay? Um, that's my burden. Um, Galatians 4.5. Well, actually, let's finish Romans 9.4. To whom pertaineth the adoption and the glory and the covenants and the giving of the law and the service of God and the promises. Uh, you name it, it has its roots in the Jewish people. Uh, Galatians 4.5, to redeem them that were under the law, that we might re receive the adoption of sons. And Ephesians 1.5, having predestinated us unto the adoption of children by Jesus Christ to himself, according to the good pleasure of his will. I want to I tell you a little story. I didn't plan on doing this, but I think the Lord wants me to. Um, anybody in here that's been adopted or has had adopted children? Okay. I met a girl, just briefly... Um, when I was in college, and she was adopted, okay? Um, her mother, I guess, gave her up when she was an infant, and she was adopted um, by another family. And when she became a Christian, her adopted family disowned her. They literally kicked her out of the house, said, basically, you're dead to us, go find another family. Now, can you imagine somebody that's not your natural parent that adopted you in the first place doesn't want you anymore? How heartbreaking that would be. If you've never read the verse or never you know, thought about it, there's a verse, and I don't have the reference. It's in the Psalms. But this was her life verse. And boy, it almost brought me to tears um, just thinking about it. When my father and mother forsake me, the Lord will take me up. And that's exactly what he's done. Um, the Lord is there for us. We are adopted into the family of God. Okay? We are taken out of the realm of darkness. We are taken out of the realm of death, into the realm of life, into the realm of light, uh, into uh, God's presence. God's presence is eternally with us and in us. Uh, we've been adopted into the family of God. And, and you know, oh, just like it's hard to appreciate being saved if you don't realize how desperate you were being lost, Okay? You can appreciate a whole lot more being adopted, realizing that you weren't before. <laughs> okay? I mean, we didn't have to experience 
some kind of a spiritual orphanage, okay, or waiting for foster care or something like that. We don't think about that. But when we realize the reality of being adopted into the family of God, that we are now called sons and daughters of God, co-heirs with Christ, I mean, you know, that's another one of the things that we take for granted because we don't realize where we came from and where we were before we had it. And so I haven't really ever thought about that too deeply. Maybe we should, you know, once in a while. Uh, we can think about that for homework, along with shining a flashlight on a candle, okay? <laughs> All right, now, to the idea of Jesus being full of grace and truth, the only begotten of the Father, uh, full of grace and truth. Grace. Jesus could have, come unto, uh, could have come like unto the death angel, but he did not. Okay? Did God have every right, every right, to just wipe us off the face of the earth? When Jesus came 2,000 years ago, he could have came like a death angel. Okay? Like the death angel of the plague of, you know, the Passover in Exodus. He could have come and just wiped us all out. Okay? Not just the firstborn, but everybody. He had... He had a perfect right, and he could have been holy and just in doing so. But he did not. He could have come to condemn and destroy everything and everyone. Um, I don't know about you, but these last couple of Bible studies with Mark going through Ezekiel, and specifically his recent study on God being holy and righteous and just and, uh, you know, comforted in, 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 in the judgment that he brought upon Israel because he was holy and just. It really kind of opens your eyes um, thinking about that, realizing once again how wicked we are. I mean, we tend to have this problem of thinking we're pretty good, you know. And as believers, you know, we'll think, well, I'm, I'm pretty good now. But we'll also think that, oh, you know, I wasn't horrible back then either. We don't realize. We don't realize how wicked and horribly uh, just against everything that God holds dear, everything that God is for, we were against. And to realize how fully and completely and totally we deserved judgment and condemnation and death. He would have been totally just in doing so, but he did not. He came to die in our place. How unbelievable is that? The light, the word, the life. He did not come to condemn. Um, and I have a verse. Uh, well, we can turn to it. It's in the end there, end of that paragraph. John chapter 3. Turn over a couple pages if you're still in John. To John chapter 3 and look at verse number 17. For God sent not his Son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. If that's not grace, I don't know what is. That is the epitome of grace. Uh, God giving us what we don't deserve, giving us salvation. Jesus was and is grace. He is full of grace. And then truth. Satan is a liar and the father of it, as it says in John chapter 8. Sometimes the truth hurts, as I mentioned earlier. Light exposes truth. But it is better to be made free by the truth than to be kept in bondage by a lie. John chapter 8, 
verse 32, where Jesus says, And ye shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. Um, I'm going to read you some passages. You can just, you can just uh, listen. Different passages that talk about grace and truth. In the Old Testament, lots of times the idea of grace, although there is a word for favor in the Hebrew, a lot of times it's a similar idea with the word mercy. And the phrase mercy and truth parallels grace and truth in the New Testament, in the book of John where it says Jesus was full of grace and truth. I mean, what I just read about Jesus could have come to condemn us and destroy us and you know, everything and everyone and would have been totally just in doing so, and he did not. That is mercy, is it not? Listen to these passages. Almost all of them are in the book of Psalms. Psalm 25.10, All the paths of the Lord are mercy and truth, unto such as keep his covenant and his testimonies. Psalm 57.3, He shall send from heaven and save me from the reproach of him that would swallow me up. Selah. God shall send forth his mercy and his truth. Many times they're in the same passage. Mercy and truth, mercy and truth. Psalm 57.10, for thy mercy is great unto the heavens, and thy truth unto the clouds. Isn't this kind of an odd pair? Mercy and truth. Grace and truth. They kind of don't normally, you wouldn't think of them going together. But in Scripture, they appear over and over and over. I love this verse. Psalm 85.10. Mercy and truth are met together. Righteousness and peace have kissed each other. Where did that happen? How in the world can you have mercy and truth? Uh, truth condemns. Truth shows us how we are. Truth shows us how far we are from God, and yet God's character is not only truth, but it's mercy. And here in this passage, I believe it's referring to the cross. Mercy and truth are met together. Righteousness and peace. Righteousness and peace. Finally, we have peace through the blood of his cross. We've been reconciled. And we've been given God's righteousness. He made him to be sin who knew no sin made him to be sin for us, that we might be made what? The righteousness of God in him. And reconciling us and having made peace by the blood of his cross. Mercy and truth have met together. Righteousness and peace have kissed each other. Uh, listen to this. But thou, O Lord, are a God full of compassion and gracious, long-suffering and plenteous in mercy and truth. Okay? Jehovah, the God of Israel, is plenteous in mercy and truth. Justice and judgment are thy habitation of thy throne. Mercy and truth shall go before thy face. He hath remembered his mercy and truth toward the house of Israel. For the Lord is good, his mercy is everlasting, and his truth endureth all generations. Let not mercy and truth forsake thee. Bind them about thy neck. Write them upon the table of thine heart. Do not they err that devise evil, but mercy and truth shall be to them that devise good. By mercy and truth, iniquity is purged, Proverbs 16.6. 6. And by the fear of the Lord, men depart from evil. Mercy and truth preserve the king, and his throne shall be upholden by mercy. Listen to this, Micah 7.20. Thou wilt perform the truth to Jacob, and the mercy to Abraham, which thou hast sworn unto our fathers from the days of old. Now, with all that in mind, Let's read verse number 14 again of John chapter 1. And the Word was made flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory, the glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. Now, 
we'll continue into verse 15. John bare witness of him and cried, saying, This was he of whom I spake. He that cometh after me is preferred before me, for he was before me. Now wait a second. To the uh, casual reader or to the person that does not have knowledge of the situation, somebody that's lost, maybe under, trying to understand what's going on here, wasn't John conceived in the womb and born before Jesus was? Huh. So, John says, he was preferred before me for he was before me. How is that possible? Well, He's God, Micah. Chapter 5, verse 2 says, His goings forth are from of old, from everlasting. He's from eternity past. He's God. He was before John. He was before us all. He was before the world was created. He has no beginning and no end. Verse 16, And of his fullness have we all received in grace for grace. Uh, this is incredible. The idea of grace for grace uh, is, is, is um, here. I have, a, I have a quote here. We have received grace for grace. Our receivings by Christ are all summed up in this one word, grace. We have received it so, so great a gift, so rich, so invaluable. We have received no less than grace. This is a gift to be spoken of with an emphasis. It is repeated, grace for grace. For to every stone in this building, as well as to the top stone, we must cry, grace, grace. Um, let me see here. All right. Uh, the manner of its reception, grace for grace, the phrase is singular, and interpreters put different senses upon it, each of which will be uh, of use to illustrate the unsearchable riches of the grace of Christ. It speaks of freeness of grace. Um, Let's see here. It is grace for grace's sake. Grace for grace. It's not grace for you're a good person. It's not grace for, you know, you deserve it. It's not grace for you, you've earned it. It's not grace for, you know, this is what you've uh, procured to yourself. No, it's grace because it's grace. Uh, grace upon grace. Interesting, the fullness of grace. Um, Grace for grace is abundance of grace. Grace upon grace, boy, I'm saying this a whole lot, aren't I? One grace heaped upon another. As skin for skin is, is skin after skin, upon all that a man has, Job 2.4. I'm going to read you this passage because it, it carries with the same idea. Now, I've mentioned before that the Greek that our New Testament was written in is not regular Greek. It's not classical Greek. It's not Greek like you know, Plato or Socrates. It's not classical Greek. It's a Jewish Greek, okay? It has Hebrew background. All the writers were Jewish. If you look in the book of Job, actually, I'll just, if I can turn there quickly, I wouldn't win in a sword drill tonight. Sometimes it's hard for me to speak and turn at the same time. Koine Greek, or the common, the common Greek, yes. Um, the Greek that was spoken in Jesus' day. And on top of that, the New Testament, even in, 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 in this respect, is special because it was exclusively Hebrew Greeks, okay, that were writing the Greek. And I want to show you a little uh, example of that. In Job chapter, let's see, Job 2.4, there's a phrase used that carries with it the same kind of idea. And it comes from Satan, believe it or not, okay, of all places. 
Verse 4, And Satan answered the Lord and said, Skin for skin, yea, all that a man hath will he give for his life. Do you get the idea? Do you get the emphasis here? Satan is saying, yeah, skin for skin, skin upon skin. He'll give everything for his life. He'll do whatever it takes. He'll curse you to your face. Satan arguing with God, saying that Job would curse him if he allowed him to touch his life and do these different things to him, take different things from him, take away his blessings, take away the hedge of protection. And skin for skin, he's going he's gonna, to, you know, man will do whatever it takes. Let's see verse 4. Yea, all that a man hath will he give for his life. Skin for skin. Same idea here with grace for grace. It's grace upon grace, unending. It's fullness of grace. It's complete and total grace. It's grace as much as God can give us grace. That's what it is. And how incredible is that? I mean, the next time you get to thinking, I had a professor that liked to use the phrase, he said, some people think that God is just a cosmic meanie waiting to bop us over the head, you know, waiting for us to screw up as believers, okay? He is not. He is a loving father. If we know how to give gifts unto our children, I mean, think about how he would treat us. Sure, we experience chastisement, but that's for our benefit, okay? The worst things that we will experience from God, okay, is to bring us closer to him, to make us partakers of the divine nature. That's grace. Paul said that, you know, the worst, most difficult thing that he can experience, okay, this thorn in the flesh that he had, that he besought the Lord thrice to take it away, what did God say? He says, my grace is sufficient for thee. And then it turned all around. Paul says, I'd rather glory in my infirmities that the power of Christ may rest upon me. We can get excited when we're experiencing even difficulty, even trial, which is kind of weird to say, but it's true, okay? I mean, we're not exciting, waiting, excited waiting for the next trial to come down the pike, but we can take joy, we can take heart, we can be not discouraged, not down, but we can be... Um, uplifted we can be encouraged because God's grace is resting upon us uh, a couple of years ago and you know I've learned my lesson and how I've responded to um, you know difficulty namely uh, being sick a couple of years ago um, I got sick and I don't know if you've ever done this but I used to be the one that says Lord take this away Lord take this away Lord take this away Lord please help me to feel better, take this away, take this pain away. And that's how I used to pray when I got sick. Until one day, I kind of, you know, God got through to my head, <laughs> okay? And I said, Lord, give me grace to get through this. I'm not asking for you to take it away, but I want to experience your grace. That was like the easiest time that I'd ever had being sick, okay? And since then, these last trials that I've experienced, I prayed the same way. I said, Lord, Give me your grace. Help me to experience your grace in the midst of this. That is far better than, you know, being downtrodden. Lord, take this away. Take this away. You know, you know we, can, we have an opportunity to experience the power of Christ resting upon us. Why? Because his strength is made perfect in our weakness. We're not going to experience that when everything is going well and we're strong. Um, okay, so... Uh, grace for grace, grace upon grace, inexhaustible, full grace, okay? Uh, as he says, of his fullness we have all received grace for grace, for the law was given by Moses. Now, is the law grace? No. The law is just, the law is holy, the law is good, but the law will not save a depraved, fallen, sinful mankind. The law will not do it. The purpose of the law is to show us that. 
The purpose of the law is to show us that we're sinners. What the general light of revelation is, okay, to a cutting utensil, okay, it's a butter knife. And the law is a scalpel to show us where the problem is. It's like a magnifying glass to an electron microscope, okay? This world, you know, and our conscience will give us a magnifying glass to show us that there's something wrong and we are accountable to a holy God. If you look into the law of God, it shows you where you fall short of God's glory. Yes. Yes, yes, that's true. That's true. Absolutely. Absolutely. That is true. So even just the giving of the law, absolutely that's God's grace. Any interaction that God has with mankind is grace. And so, the law was given by Moses, but grace and truth came by Jesus Christ. Now, is there a grace and truth kind of linked to the law, to the Torah? Okay, yes, absolutely. But, it is not a full picture of grace and truth that is saving. It is only enough truth and grace to condemn us. But with Christ, he came to fulfill the law in our place. To do what we couldn't do ourselves. And to make us holy and righteous and just in the eyes of God. Praise the Lord for that. And then it says this, No man hath seen God at any time. The only begotten Son, which is in the bosom of the Father, he hath declared him. And I have one last thing um, that I wanted to show. But I can't seem to find where I wrote it down. Okay. So basically, it ties all the way back to the beginning. That in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. No man had seen God at any time. The only begotten Son, which is in the bosom of the Father, he hath declared him. So you want to see who God is. There may be many people out there, Jew, Gentile. What is, what is God like? What is he doing? There's stuff going on all over this world. How is, what is God thinking? How is he reacting? They want to get an intricate picture of who God is. Look no further than Jesus. He is the express image of his person. He shows them the Father. No man hath seen God at any time. The only begotten Son, which is in the bosom of the Father, he hath declared him. Okay, so the word or the declaration of God, okay? This whole entire book, it became flesh, the declaration of God, because Jesus is the declaration of who God is. Um, any questions, comments, discussion? The way I think about it in my mind now is God made everything by speaking, let there be. Yes. And that word, so if his speech is God, if his, if his speech is, in, is coming from him, God. Yes. That helps me understand how the Word is God and the Word made everything. And then God being omnipotent can turn that Word into a human form the way as He did. His own Word. And by the same token, Jesus always speaks. And it's just 
what the Father tells him to speak. Because it's the word of God. Yes. They're that's intricately. That's how it helps me try to explain to somebody how the word Jesus is the word and the word is, is God and how everything was made by him. Well, and, and the other thing is it's the declaration of God. It's God's communication to mankind. So when you look at Jesus, God in human flesh, fully man and fully God, he is God's message. He is God's message to mankind. He is God's communication to mankind. Um, absolutely. I mean, the verbal word, the written word, he is the embodied word. Yes. Yep. Absolutely. Anybody else before we close in a word of prayer? Yes. Sure. I was thinking tonight about full of grace and truth. Mm -hmm. I was thinking the only other thing I've ever heard the word full of about God was that he's full of compassion. And then you read it in that song. Yes. And if anybody knows anything else, just that God is full of just as a matter of <laughs> sure, sure, sure. Sure, sure. Yeah. Amen. Yeah. Well, I don't know about you guys, but uh, just looking at these things, how how much should we praise the Lord for for His grace, for His compassion? I mean, Him being full of compassion all encompasses. His grace and His truth, okay? Looking beyond our sin and seeing our need, okay? And coming to die for us while we were yet sinners, while we were yet ungodly in due time Christ died. Um, we just could never earn it. We can never pay it back. And all we have to do is live for Him. Yield to Him. Surrender to Him. And watch Him work through us. Watch Him bless us. Watch Him use us for His glory. And... Uh, uh, it's, it's an exciting thing. Um, well, I've been very privileged to be able to, to teach this to y'all, and hopefully maybe sometime you know, we'll pick it back up in the next verse. Um, but I'll go ahead and, and close in a word of prayer. Thank you, Lord, uh, so much. Shalom. This is Mark Robinson, Executive Director of Jewish Awareness Ministries, thanking you for listening to our Bible study. These Jewish Awareness Podcasts are a teaching ministry of Jewish Awareness Ministries. If you have questions about the study that you just listened to or would like additional information, go to our website, jewishawareness.org, email us at office at jewishawareness.org, or call us at 919 919- Two seven five four four seven seven. Shalom.